Coming up on Tech News today, how safe are your Dropbox files from prying eyes? Also, the iPhone is tracking you. We'll tell you what it's tracking. And the New York Times tries to make money on Twitter. All that and more coming up. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Tech News Today for Wednesday, April 20th, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing service that gets you paid quickly and makes you look professional. Get started with a free package at FreshBooks.com. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Tom Merritt. I'm Maya Zaktar. I'm Jason Howell. And joining us from Utah in the United States of America, Mr. Scott Johnson. Utah's own Scott Johnson. Hello, everybody. Good to be back. I haven't been on with uh, Iaz since he was on the East Coast, so this is kind of cool. Now he's in the office there. I like this. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good to have Iaz here, actually. Saves my ass every day. Yeah, I, I get to. I'm exhausted from arguing with he you. Doesn't, he doesn't like. Show. Well, that, that, one of the reasons I like arguing with you is because I know you don't take compliments well. So That's always you know, good, yeah. Makes you feel no, better yeah, no if, compliments, I, if I try to rip, rip down all of your arguments. That's true. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we should start talking about technology. Let's do. Uh, I, I'm actually trying to update Leo's playbook. Were, were mine's, interrupting mine's, you? Mine's sitting at home. Oh, I'm sorry. Are we doing a podcast right now? Yeah. Mine's sitting at home right now, but uh, I got Leo's here. He's had, he's had some issues. Now, there's not reports of widespread issues with it, but uh, he couldn't get the update to download, and it won't let you go in and start using the playbook until you've downloaded the update. Oh. So when the update wasn't downloaded, he was pretty much stuck. So if there's a problem, just change your Wi-Fi network and okay. maybe... Now we're going to swipe to continue. Uh, he's gotten 54% of the way through of the software. Now Oof. he's cooking. I hooked him up to a different network. See if that works. There we go. I'm very excited to get home and play <laughs> Portal 2. Also, get my playbook. Yeah, what, what are you going to do first? I'm going to do both. <laughs> You're going to use time. the playbook as the controller. Yeah, I'm going to install a VNC client on my playbook. <laughs> <laughs> go right in. If there were apps for such a I had, uh, I had trouble this morning with Portal 2 myself. I, uh, I, it went fine on the PS3. A couple of people made fun of me for buying the console version, but you get a free version of the PC game if you buy the console version. I didn't know that. So I bought the PS3 disc, and then when I went to put in the, uh, the code on Steam, I couldn't log in on Steam. It wouldn't take my login oh. on, on the Mac. It took it fine on the PC, but mm. on the Mac, it just didn't work. The game's awesome, by the way. Uh, played a bunch yesterday, and uh, they kind of done it again. It's a, it's a pretty amazing experience. But yeah, if you guys, if anybody out there listening to TNT is buying Portal and hasn't yet, get the PS3 version because you get the PC version free, and there's discounts on Amazon, so you spend like hardly anything for this game, and you feel like you're just ripping Valve off, and the game is awesome. So I can't wait to hear what you think about it, Tom. It's great. All right, let's get into our top story today. Uh, some folks over at O'Reilly posted up some early research of a presentation they're going to give at Wear 2.0. Alistair Allen and Pete Warren, two UK researchers, found a hidden file on iOS called, uh, what was it called? Consolidated.db. Consolidated.db appears to log your location to a file, to that file, uh, containing your latitude, longitude coordinates along with a timestamp. And the big problem is it's unencrypted, and most people didn't realize it was there. And this is only on devices that have a cellular connection. So it's the iPad with, the th with 3G or your iPhone. 
This isn't. This doesn't appear to be on the iPod Touch or Wi-Fi only iPads. Yeah, which makes sense because uh, it, it appears to be not collecting GPS data, but collecting triangulation data off of cell towers. And and the iPhone uses that to speed up GPS location, right? So it, there's a GPS chip in the iPhone, but what it'll do is it'll ping cell towers, with, which are known locations, to help narrow down the area it should look at for GPS, and that just improves the accuracy. Apparently, those pings are being logged in this consolidated .db, and, you know, they're being logged without your implicit knowledge. Now, there is a... a, a paragraph in the terms of service that says they're going to collect location data, right? Right. And uh, if I'm sure nobody reads this, I'm going to get taken to task for this. But in the, in the iPod and the iPhone terms of service and iPad, it all has the same language in section 4B saying location data. And it's saying Apple and its partners may provide certain services and they rely on your location to provide and improve these services where available. Apple and its partners and licensees may transmit, collect, maintain, process, and use your location data. So, and they have to put that term in because there are so many apps that take advantage of location data. Right. But on top of just they have the right to do it, they're also uh, alerting you every time they collect the location data. So you don't just have to assume that they're always collecting it all the time. You, you sort of know, okay, this application has, is asking for it, so I know that that application will be accessing my data. The problem with consolidated DB is that nobody knew it was there. Uh, actually, actually, some researchers uh, have been discussing this in the forensics community as far back as September of last year. But most people didn't realize it was there, and nobody knows what it's for. And uh, most worryingly, above all of that, is that it's unencrypted. It's a hidden file. You can get access to it. I mean, you I think you need root access to really get to it. So it's not like uh, like the Skype vulnerability where anybody, for Skype or Android vulnerability we talked about previously, where just any app could get to the uh, to this data. Uh, the problem is that this thing is unencrypted on your whatever computer you're using to sync your iPhone or iPad. It's also on the device itself. And uh, there is a cool little app that you could use on a Mac, though, if you want to actually see where you've been. I know you tried it out, Tom. Yeah, I actually thought that was cool. Like, I, you know, I don't like the fact that it's unencrypted and, and, you know, someone that I don't want to have access to it could, could conceivably get it. But this little iPhone tracker app that they whipped up for OS X, it's nifty. You know, you can see, like, where you've been and, and, and uh, how often you've been there. It's got larger circles for, for larger numbers of, of locations there. Although mine, mine, this isn't mine that we're showing on the video right now. This is, this is an example from one of the researchers. Mine only showed me in the Bay Area. Yeah, and that, looks like a soup, that looks like a soup spill on a map, by the way. But I was going to ask, you've been down in Florida. You've been to Vegas yeah. recently. You've kind of been all over the place. You're saying that none of that data shows up in this log file. No, I, I, I zoomed in to make sure that it wasn't just like a little dot, you know, because I'd only been there for a short period of time. It, did, it didn't show me anywhere. It mm. just shows me in the Bay Area. So it's obviously not even working all the time. Oh, by the way, if, you, if, you do, if you're really afraid about this file, consolidated.db, and you want it to be encrypted, if you go into iTunes settings, you can actually encrypt your backups in general, which will also encrypt this file. As I'm being reminded I don't by think it camera. encrypts it on the phone, though, does it? It only encrypts it on your phone. Because that's the other thing, right? It gets synced. Right. So that file is not only existing on your phone, it's existing on your computer as well. So there's two places where somebody can get access to it. And if you do what IAS is saying, it's encrypted on your machine. Right. But I don't think that does anything to it on the phone. So if you had somebody actually taking your phone... And, test, and taking out right. data, like, with, like I think Michigan is doing this, Michigan sta uh, State Police, uh, is, there's a big hubbub. The ACLU is kind of upset because Michigan police apparently have been using a forensics tool where they can take your Android phone or your iOS phone or other phones and actually take the data right off of it just to see, like, what have you been doing? But they've been doing this 
uh, at routine traffic stops. So the question is whether this runs up against the Fourth Amendment or not. Yeah, is it an unreasonable search and seizure to just be, you know, really without taking your phone, just scanning it? And if you've got this consolidated DB file on there, conceivably, I guess they could see it. Although uh, security expert uh, Charlie Miller says, as we mentioned earlier, you do have to have some sophisticated access to it. Though uh, code execution exploit and privilege escalation exploits like jailbreakme.com that made it easy to jailbreak your phone could be used for this sort of thing. I don't think that's what Michigan could use. But, but this Michigan story is an example of how the data on your phone can be accessed in lots of ways that you may not be aware of, and you probably need to encrypt the data on your phone. And there's not, there's not a lot of good ways to do that yet. I guess you could stick to a really dumb phone. You can get a BlackBerry. Um, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's got the highest encryption. I wasn't going to touch the BlackBerry. I don't know. I saw I has his face said everything I needed to know. Play, right play, the playbook funny. is restarting, by the way. I think, I, I think we've got Today's it rolling. Today's subplot of TNT is the BlackBerry playbook. <laughs> it was not sponsoring us at all. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, move on to the, uh, to the Amazon library uh, story. We've got uh, the Kindle now able to borrow books from the library. 11,000 libraries will be able to give you, uh, if you have a Kindle or Kindle app, any Kindle device actually, uh, you'll be able to take, well, take out books for free. Uh, the lending period is somewhere between one to two weeks. And uh, they're partnering with Overdrive. Overdrive also powers Sony Reader's uh, whole e-library. Yeah, I think we've lending. mentioned Overdrive maybe uh, before. I tested out Overdrive because you can use Overdrive with a library without needing Sony or Amazon. And it's kind of a... I don't know, a kludge of a kind of a thing. You get an application, you get to use the browser, and you need to have two different IDs. You need an Adobe ID, and you need your library ID. Now, so this, in that case, with the OverDrive General, you need the Adobe ID mm -hmm. for DRM. Mm -hmm. We're guessing when Amazon's uh, effort comes out that you'll use your Amazon ID, which conceivably, if you're on a Kindle, either app or, or device, you're already logged into Amazon. That's one less step. So maybe there'll be one less step. You'll still there. need your library ID because... You need a library card, which I only have an Austin library card. I never got a San Francisco library card. Well, when I, I am ashamed of myself, librarians. <laughs> you could take me to task. I know I'm a horrible man, but... When I tested it out, you can just tell it whatever location you want. It didn't appear to be using any GPS data. So if you wanted to use, I guess, your card from Austin, you could, assuming they were a partner in this... Unless they've done a purge or something that I'm unaware of and I guess. kicked I the, me out of the system. I know the Petaluma Library's got this. Uh, I'm, I got a card today, so I'm going to try it out. So I, as you say, any connected Kindle device, can I use an iPad that has the Kindle app? Yeah, it's, it's Kindle apps and, and, Kindle, and all Kindle devices. So even the first generation really uh, blocky Kindle will still be able to do this. AT&T uh, had their earnings report, and uh, it was pretty positive. Uh, quarter 1, 2011 profits uh, increased 39%. They added 2 million wireless subscribers compared to 1.9 in, in the first quarter. Uh, churn rate went up a little bit, not too much, from 1.3% to 1.36%. And all of this, uh, when everyone thought, ooh, the Verizon iPhone, that's going to take a big bite out of AT&T sales. Uh, AT&T noted around 40% of its smartphone sales came from Android, BlackBerry, and Windows Phone 7 meaning iPhone still accounted for 60-ish uh, percent, and they added 2 million wireless subscribers. So obviously it didn't hurt them that much. Scott, are you surprised yeah. that AT&T is doing so well in spite of the whole iPhone being on multiple carriers? Well, I can give you just a, a piece of non-scientific data here. I have a lot of friends who use iPhones, and we all have complained at one time or another, oh, AT&T's coverage isn't good enough, or I can't wait till Verizon gets the iPhone. That was like the mantra, and I know we're not alone. I know a lot of people said this. 
But for whatever reason, and I'm not exactly sure why, that phone came and many of these same people that I know whose contracts are up and it would be a good time to, to move are choosing not to move. And I think part of it is their grandfather did on the data plan. Part of it is AT&T is not as bad as they keep saying it is. It just, it's a thing to complain about, but it's not as bad as they think and it's not worth the hassle of changing everything over. Um, and also some of this stuff that came out about, you know, the data being faster on AT&T and a few of my friends are like, you know what, I do need to use the phone and have a phone call going. Those kinds of factors have played a role. Uh, but I think in the end, it just wasn't as big a deal as people thought. And they're like, yeah, I'll just, I'll stay where I'm at. It's fine. Well, and that's the, what I did. So added to that, I mean, AT&T did up its Android offerings. I mean, they had a whole, first they're like, we're going to rely on iPhone. That's going to be our, you know, our, our main thing. But then they're like, okay, we're losing ex exclusivity. So now we need to have Android devices. And so they had a ton of those come out. I mean, that Android devices and BlackBerry and Windows Phone 7 made up 40% of the smartphone sales, which still means iPhone is 60%. But that's a much larger, you know, division of smartphone devices. I also wonder if some of those people that you're talking about, Scott, will make the switch when the next iPhone hardware comes out. Because maybe they don't need to renew right now because that means getting all new hardware to do that. But when there's a brand new phone that they definitely want to upgrade to, then it's more of a, well, I'm going to do this anyways. Maybe I should go over there. Yeah, and they had a limited window, right, to even get the, get the iPhone on a Verizon platform. And, and a lot of them understand that Apple kind of has a yearly cycle and they don't right. want to just get this one now knowing that as a stop, you know, all the AT&T people had it for a year, but I'm only going to have it for five months, assuming they release at the same time. So I'm sure that played a role as well, but I just don't feel the fervor that it used to have before it was a thing. And it was just a rumor. Everybody everywhere is just falling over themselves to, to jump to Verizon. And then when it actually happened, it's like, I don't know, the shine fell off of it. And nobody really cared anymore. It's weird. I, yeah, I, th I, think, I think people overestimated the impact because it wasn't Verizon iPhone a year ago. If it had been Verizon iPhone launching at the same time as the AT&T iPhone 4, then I think it would have been a different ballgame. And I think in September or whatever it is we get the next iPhone, I think that'll be the true test of all of this. Mm. Uh, I just fixed uh, Leo's brand new BlackBerry playbook. It's now, it's now up and running. So I'm going to invoice him uh, for, the, for this. Leo, your playbook's fixed. It's ready. It, it finally, finally it's finished. It's ready to play. Uh, and so I'll probably just use FreshBooks, uh, our sponsor for today's show, to, to invoice him Good idea. for that. Uh, it's easy. I'll go online. I'll just put in the name. Leo is a client. I'll put, I'll put in how much, you know, he, I probably owe him, frankly. I'm <laughs> in negative balance. Uh, and then, and, and, but if you want to use FreshBooks for this stuff, it creates professional-looking invoices. Add your you can add your company logo to it. Send your invoices out to the to the clients. It follows up on them if the, they don't get paid. They just sent me a note today uh, that they've got better PayPal integration. They've used PayPal before to take credit card accounts. Now you can actually include your PayPal account in there and take PayPal payments directly without having to go through the credit card part of it. Uh, clients can pay you by that or 11 other electronic payment services, uh, automated late payment reminders. They play the heavy. You can even send out paper invoices if you're like, ah, I got a few clients that still like me to mail them a, a piece of paper. FreshBooks can do that too. Try them out for free. You get up to three clients that you can try out with FreshBooks uh, and you can use your iPhone app, help you keep track of your work, try them out and tell them TNT sent you and that little field where they're like any other notes about signing up, say TNT sent you and you could win a free birthday cake. They're still giving out one. It away. doesn't even have to be your birthday. It's just a cake. It doesn't. You just get a cake. So good for that. FreshBooks.com. We thank them there for their support of TNT. Love FreshBooks. 
Let's move on to news me. News, news, news me, Iaz. News you? Okay. Uh, how about we did something? We did something with social and news, and we put them together. Uh, and I'm making a nap. What do you, what do you say? News. I would me? say that sounds like the New York Times, except they got really mad about that apparently when somebody uh, on <laughs> on Tech uh, on TechCrunch said it was a New York Times thing. New York Times developed News Me, but then they they sort of outsourced it, uh, and it is going to launch on Thursday as an iPad app, and uh, and and tell me what this what this is worth to you guys. It's going to take as I has uh, suggested, all of your Twitter feed information, parse it for news stories, mm -hmm. compare that against Bitly traffic to find out what the most popular of those stories are, and package it up for you in a nice, easy-to-read situation. So kind of taking out all of the sidebars and advertisements and all that stuff, uh -huh. you just get the articles uh, nice and cleanly so like able to read. Instapaper or, yeah, exactly. or Flipboard kind of thing? Exactly like Instapaper or Insta Flipboard. Well, yeah. Instapaper for iPad costs like five bucks, one-time payment. So that's yeah. not bad. This app Instapaper is going to be slash Flipboard slash dig that you don't actually have to dig anything Right. With. This is, uh, is going to be a free app. <laughs> App's going to be free. News.me? Yeah. But if you want to get the content, is that going to... Oh, yeah, that costs you 99 cents a week or $35 a year. Well, at least there's a discount for the year, but 99 cents to get curated stuff that my friends are... I can already do this, can't well, I? Well, they also look at the Twitter feeds of, of other people, and you can opt to have that as part of your, your feed as well, like to say, hey, you know, you've got featured Twitterers that maybe you don't follow that you can add in as well. You can see the feeds of what other people are following. So if you've got news.me, I can click on your, your icon, Iaz, mm -hmm. and see what you're reading, kind of like reading over your shoulder. Oh, what's, what's in Iaz's feed? Well, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe because we don't have the app yet. The app's coming out tomorrow. Maybe because I don't have the app and I haven't played with it yet, I don't quite get it. It doesn't seem like it's that different from things we've seen already. I mean, it's an in interesting idea to, to see what people are reading. They're also doing something interesting with payments. I mean, this 99 cents you're paying, uh, the amount of uh, if you read one article a lot or a lot of people read an article, the publishers are going to get paid a, a cut of that. So that's kind of nice. It, it promotes... Uh, content development, but you might run into those whole things with really great, salacious titles, you know, spectacular titles. People will read that stuff, and they just want to get money that way. So I'm not really sure how this is going to be until we try it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm eternally skeptical about services that say they'll tell me what I want. Um, I, I like the idea, that an app, and, a, and this has come along with other apps. There's other apps I have on my iPad now even that claim to do this, that they curate the data depending on my likes, my needs, my Twitter followers, my Facebook followers. And it kind of is supposedly delivering me what I want. And they never quite get that way. And I always have a feeling I'm missing something. So this doesn't excite me. And like you said, I asked, we need to kind of see it first before we can really make a judgment. But if I'm going to be paying for it, it really needs to be good at that thing it does, that it says it does. And thus far, that technology from at least other providers has been very hit and miss for me, so I, I'm yeah, I'm I'm skeptical about it. Well, you can try a new one out today for free. It's only on the web. They don't have their apps available yet, although they do say they're going to. It's from the Washington Post, and it's called Trove. Uh, you go to trove.com, and it will go into your Facebook and create a feed of news uh, based on your Facebook uh, account likes. Uh, it was very interesting what it created for me. Uh, some of it, it, it seems totally right on. It's got technology, spring training, uh, sports, museums and galleries. It's a little, you know, okay. Uh, my top two channels are Amazon.com and Lost. I guess Lost is I think I list. don't use Facebook enough. 
I don't, I don't <laughs> like enough, it enough. I don't like enough things on Facebook. Uh, also, Katie Couric and Derek Jeter were listed as um, and separate channels. Two as separate channels. Two separate That's channels. Is there a story yes, I missed right. today? The Katie Couric Derek Jeter channel. <laughs> <laughs> The one story a year. Yeah, I tried out Trove myself, and it, it works with Facebook. So instead of having to go through a survey of what do you like, what you know, it's already there from your Facebook data. And it did for me. It had a bunch of stuff for the Beatles because I, I don't really write a whole lot on my Facebook about the things I like, but I'm a Beatles fan. So they're like, you would like to know that Lady Gaga said this thing. But they have a really interesting channel finder. So if you want to see, oh, if you want to expand the scope of what you like, because I was afraid, like, I'm going to only get what I like. And I, what I like about newspapers is seeing things by accident. I like seeing news stories. And the Channel Finder, you get to pick A or B or skip. This one says Twitter or Facebook. You get to find out news about either one. So it's a nice way to discover new content. Is, I, that, is that yours, uh, Jason? Yeah. That we're showing? Why is Lara Logan one of your channels? I have no idea why any of these are anything. <laughs> Honestly. Archaeology is here. It's, this is the well, most... Well, those are suggestions up at the top. Yeah, no. where, where channel, your, your channels but down there, those are the ones that and they blue. looked at your Facebook and they're like, you're really into Larry Logan. I have no idea. And the Grammys and Coachella. I have no idea, honestly. I'm actually... <laughs> I mean, the CBS makes sense because you used to work it, there, Yeah, right? Radiohead and Arcade Fire are the only now, two things now on here that Oh, no, Westminster Dog Show, you've got Katie Couric as well. You know, both of us probably liked her page when we worked at CBS. Or when it's at yeah. CBS. Yeah. They're like, you guys must like Katie Couric. But what's nice about it is that this is the Washington Post. I mean, this is a newspaper company trying something different on the web instead of just being like, here's the post um, and here's a paywall. Yeah, and you know what? I like maybe the channels need a little bit of tweaking to, to get them up to speed, but I like the fact that there's editor's picks on the left mm -hmm. and your stuff on the right. It gives you a nice balance of serendipity, things you might not have known you wanted to read about, and things that are supposed to be based on your likes that you know you'll love. Is, that, is this that different than using, I don't know, a combination of like iGoogle widgets or anything? I mean... It's just, you know, it's Washington Post is doing it, so maybe the editor's picks will be a little higher quality, that's all. It'd be nice. Yeah. I feel like Flipboard has established a standard for this sort of stuff, and I think a lot of people, I'm not saying they invented it, but I think a lot of people see the way that works, and they're trying to sort of duplicate that experience. I'm with IAS when a, when a traditional media company or a newspaper like the Post is doing something like that, that's pretty awesome. That means they're thinking in new ways and thinking about new stuff, and uh, you know, I hope to see more of this come from that direction, that part of the publishing world. One thing you're going to see less of is the Sony PSP Go. Uh, mm. According to Impress Watch, uh, Sony Computer Entertainment made an official statement uh, that promises support, firmware updates, and repairs for the PSP Go, but no further stock of the handheld. So once the ones that are in the uh, pipeline right now being shipped to retailers are sold, that's it. They're not making any more PSP Goes. It is PSP gone. Well, the, the writing was on the wall with the Xperia Play. I mean, it was a very similar design uh, with the downloadable games. There's really no reason for this. The price, uh, price points never made it very popular. The design wasn't popular. People thought it looked like Eric Cartman. And once you see that, you can't unsee that, by the way. Um, and, and it didn't have UMD support, which was a huge deal for, I don't know, a lot of PlayStation portable users. So it was an interesting experiment, and it, I guess it, it brought us to the, to the Play, but uh, not too bad for this. Yeah, I think well, a lot of people wondered why the PSP Go, period. Well, they've been, yeah, they've been asking that question since the E3 where they debuted it. Um, having been a previous P PSP owner, the, the idea of the PSP Go is a solid one. They were, they were entering at a time I think was a little bit too late and maybe arguably a little bit too early. But it was saying, okay, well, no more physical storage, no more physical media. We're going to let you download games. That's how you're going to play from now on. And honestly, that is the thing moving forward. That is what will succeed in the coming years is, is portables 
like our iPhones, iPods, and our Android phones that let us download stuff and play them. And the NGP, or their next generation portable, looks to be uh, carrying on this, this tradition. They'll also have a physical media, but they're dropping the whole spinning UMD disk and all that. The biggest problem I see with this is this feels like a weird kind of like experiment, a very expensive experiment on Sony's part. And they didn't ever treat it as anything more than that. They, they just kind of put their toe in the water. And then they would release some games on UMD, but not this way. And then some this way, but not on UMD. And it just was muddy and, and strange. And it felt like they just tentatively stuck their, their hand into this. And maybe that was, maybe they've learned something from that. Maybe that will benefit the NGP. You know, I don't know, but it's a, it's a weird storied tale that go. And I'm kind of, I'm sad to see it go because I feel like, again, it was the right idea with the wrong timing and the wrong backing, and hopefully they can pull it out with the NGP when that comes out. PSP 3000 is still around now. Uh, as they're, not, they're not getting rid of that yet, not until the NGP comes along. Uh, so you can, you can almost guess that with the Xperia Play, that's taking the place of the Go, and the NGP will take the place of the PSP 3000. That's just, that's just the, the nature of, of the way products go. And Sony's been quite aggressive trying to get themselves back in the black. I mean, they've had a lot of failures, and they're like, look, some of this stuff's got to go. And I'm not trying to keep doing the pun of go, but it keeps happening. But this, is not, this was not a successful product by yeah. any means. So it, it makes sense for it to be put down. On a side note, Sony rolling out uh, PlayStation Home 1.5 update gives real-time multiplayer support. So uh, you'd be able to uh, get Sodium Blasters, Paradise, Personal Space, Tank Top 1.0, minigame. If you're into PSP Home, or I'm sorry, into PlayStation Home, uh, that will be exciting. Don't you forget about the virtual furniture arrangement that you can do. I'm that's not right. making that up. No. That's a real thing. That has been, that's been around for a while, yeah. You know, it's funny because a lot of people see Home as a big failure on Sony's part. It's actually <laughs> really, really popular. There are people who love home. Now, it's a very interesting niche that loves home a lot. There's no place like but, it. No, there's not. But, but this is for an example of an update that should have come a long time ago, and maybe I would argue should have come at launch. This would have been great and would have driven a lot, uh, a lot different kinds of gamers toward it instead of people who just want to sit in virtual space and say dirty things to each other because that's really what it's boiled down to over the last couple of years, which is too bad. But again, great idea, weird implementation, a little too late with features, it's kind of the Sony way the last couple of years. PC World reporting uh, a disturbing change of terms of service at Dropbox. Uh, the, the terms of service on its own is not that disturbing. It says, as set forth in our privacy policy and in compliance with the United States law, Dropbox cooperates with the U.S. law enforcement when it receives valid legal process, which may require Dropbox to provide contents of your private Dropbox. In these cases, Dropbox will remove Dropbox's encryption from the files before providing them to law enforcement. So... Not, not unusual. Uh, any company has to put this in their terms of service because it's the law. If law enforcement comes and says you got to turn this over and, and decrypt it if you have the encryption keys, you have to do it, right? And the this, only reason RIM resists this sort of thing is in certain cases, RIM says we don't have the keys, so they can't do it. But what Dropbox says in this term is we have the keys, so if law, you know, police come a-knocking, we're going to hand over your data, just so you know. Now, this freaked out Dropbox users because they thought Dropbox employees were going to be able to read anything and everything well, on it, there, right? It, what, what it is is that Dropbox has made a big deal in the past, and it says on their website, Dropbox employees aren't able to access user files, and when troubleshooting an account, they only have access to file metadata, not file contents. They've made a big deal. Like, your, your files are so secure in Dropbox, even our employees can't read them. Uh, to try to get people to feel comfortable about storing 
their files in the cloud. They even they go so far on the website as to say uh, your files may be safer at Dropbox than they would be in your home your home hard drive. Now you actually emailed the CTO to find well, out yeah, what I, exactly the employees had. I emailed to. Dropbox and uh, Arash Ferdosi, the CTO of, of Dropbox, uh, sent back a statement saying every Dropbox employee understands that the most important value of the company is maintaining users trust. Of course, employees are prohibited by company policy from accessing users' files and there are technical access controls to prohibit unauthorized access by employees. So it's against the rules for the employee to look at your files. And even if they did try to, they've got controls. They've got access controls on the files to stop them. Uh, he goes on to say, as with almost every other online company, there are a limited number of employees who may access user data when legally required to do so and to help troubleshoot users' accounts with their consent. So in other words, few people in the company have the keys to your files but they promise not to use them <laughs> unless the law comes a knocking. He, he couldn't send out the email saying, chill out, we got this. It's yeah, okay. that's kind of pretty much what he said. Yeah. So do you it's, trust also, it's also important, I think, it's at least interesting to note that, okay, let's say the employees are technically prohibited. They're also by rule prohibited. But any of them can see uh, a public link that somebody sent out, a link from the Dropbox public folder or whatever. So it's not like that stuff's encrypted. They're not robots that can't see anything Dropbox related. It seems like that's a little, just a tiny bit disingenuous because you can, you can see, you know, whatever. in fact, I had to deal with Dropbox about a file once. I Twittered something. It, it killed my bandwidth quota for the day. And I didn't even know there was one. So it was a nice test. So Dropbox shut me down for 24 hours. I emailed and said, oh, I didn't know. I apologize. I shouldn't have put this out to Twitter. It was just a little MP3 I made. And he seemed to know all about what the file was, how long it was, why it was causing, you know, well, they do have the mistake. metadata, so they have the, the, the size of the file and the name of the file, so you could probably see it was a .mp3 and knew how big it was. Yeah, so I don't know. But e either way, I, I, my bigger concern about Dropbox is that someone will buy it and ruin it. So I'm happy to let them do their thing. I won't put anything illegal up, but I just love Dropbox so much that I would like to go there and hug them. I think they probably need a hug today. Actually, <laughs> my recommendation no uh, for Dropbox is if you're using it and you're worried about this sort of thing, uh, you're putting something up there that you're like, you know what? I don't feel comfortable with anybody having the key to it. Encrypt it yourself. Do a, use TrueCrypt, do a file encryption and upload the encrypted file uh, to Dropbox. And then you're the only one with the key. Of course, if you lose the key, nobody's going to be able to help you. But. I mean, with Dropbox, I still think the worst scenario is really the social engineering. Like, what's your password? And you can get access to anything really that way. I mean, it's one thing if the employees are going to do it. But, I mean, you could lose access to your stuff in a lot of other ways. If You know, bad habits, like having the same password everywhere. Yeah. So you can do your own encryption, but also make sure you have a secure password for yourself. Absolutely. Good point. Uh, finally, uh, quarterly earnings in for Apple beat analyst expectations like a bear beating a rabbit. Uh, making $6.40 a share. Expectation was $5.36. Apple had an 83% jump in revenue, sold 18.7 million phones and 4.69 million iPads. Oh, so they don't really sell that many iPads. Still no phones. information about the hi-fi. I mean, I know it's been discontinued. No hi-fi sales were no. mentioned. No, you're right. Uh, there was a 113% rise in iPhone sales, uh, though. So they, they, over, they doubled their iPhone sales year over year. Uh, iPod Touch is one-third of iPod and iOS sales uh, to date. So iPod Touch becoming the, uh, as we knew, the, the default it's for any kind of iPod stuff. Yeah. I mean, the classic, I think the only reason the classic's still around, by the way, is because the iPod icon would make no sense without it. <laughs> like, what is that? Is that a frame? What is no. that a picture of? 
Never seen that before. You know, what's interesting about the iPod, I remember when the touch came out and all you heard were cries of, bah, it's just a wannabe iPhone. Just get the iPhone. Why would you want a half iPhone? And, and uh, there was a, a lot of talk about that. And it's turned out to be, you know, the hot little item. Of course it is. My kids all have one. Everybody wants one of those things. If they don't want a phone or they're not old enough for a phone, it's a part of the market we weren't thinking of. And, you know, smartly Apple positioned themselves to kind of dominate that forever, too. I'm just kind of curious how they constantly exceed expectations. Are the expectations just too low? And like Google never seems to meet Well, them. Apple always sets their own expectations low. So we they, will sell they three always, iPods this they year. always beat their own expectations. Uh, and I think that, that sort of brings the average down. Even when the analysts are like, well, we're going we're gonna to be more aggressive than that, there's always that little weight of like, well, Apple only predicted this much, so we don't want to go too far out. And then they beat that. Uh, Apple Chief Financial Officer Pete Oppenheimer on the call said, we sold every iPad 2 we could make. It's still hard to find. Yeah. I mean, they're not kidding around. Exactly. On to the news fuse. I still think we need to get the video of us running away from that. Yeah. <laughs> New studio. We'll do it. Somebody work on that for us, please. Reuters is the latest to weigh in on the iPhone 5 speculation. Uh, according to their people familiar with the matter, iPhone 5 production begins in July and ships in September. Our analysts here at TNT speculate that iPhone release date rumors will continue to rise until June. Or until it's released. Well, until WWDC, and then, then we'll get a new estimate. Yeah, yeah. Several online poker sites were shut down last week thanks to the FBI in New York, which meant getting money out of the site's accounts became difficult. An agreement was reached between authorities, poker stars, and Full Tilt Poker, which will allow U.S. players to get their money back if the sites play by a few rules, like not allowing U.S.-based IP addresses to use their sites. There's a third site that hasn't agreed to this yet. So if you're with them, you might want to kind of pressure them. Yeah. Last week, as heard on TNT, a vulnerability in Skype for Android could allow sensitive data to be scrapped by, a, by malicious apps. Today, Skype has fixed the bug and has added in one more thing. Skype users will be able to use 3G to make calls with the new version of the app. The updated Skype app is available today. Facebook, HP, the OpenStack Project, and 74 other new organizations have joined the Open Invention Network, a consortium of organizations intent on protecting Linux and related open source software from legal attack. The OIN was founded in 2005 by IBM, NEC, Novell, Philips, Red Hat, and Sony. The idea is to allow the members to continue to innovate on Linux without having to worry about the threat of patent-related lawsuits. I don't know. It sounds like a small bunch of people. Could help. It could maybe, I don't know, help Samsung. <laughs> Paul Odellini says Intel is building a version of Honeycomb for its processors. This isn't just something Intel is reverse engineering. Google actually gave them the source code to Honeycomb. Intel's been gunning for, the, for a presence in the mobile space for a while, and that's been dominated by ARM-based processors. So maybe having a version of Android that actually runs on Intel might be what they're looking for. Google appears to uh, Google appears Google appears to have maps on the brain. The company introduced Google Earth Builder, which is a new service aimed at the enterprise and will let users build map layers uh, on existing Google Maps. Storing and back, uh, backing up is all on Google servers, and data will be private yet shareable. There's no pricing date uh, or data for this service. It's VD Day for TiVo. Um, wait, what? Huh? You know, <laughs> victory over dish. Yeah, I don't think VD means that. VD day. It's total VD. They got VD at TiVo. 
TiVo <laughs> won its DVR patent. celebrating their VD. VD for DVR? They won its DVR, their DVR patent uh, battle with Echostar and Dish. Uh, if you own TiVo stock, you'd have seen the price jump as much as 40% today. Stock closed with nearly a 30% gain. Yeah, 10 bucks. <laughs> 10 bucks. A Facebook glitch yesterday led to some Facebook users getting inundated with emails telling them about every little change to their Facebook pages, even if you had your settings saying, don't do that. Uh, Facebook fixed that bug this morning, so hopefully you're not getting those emails. Yeah, you don't want to get a bug. On VD Day. <laughs> Finally, uh, our kicker today, 2D glasses that help you see 3D movies in 2D. They strip away I just, the 3D. I love that this exists. Yeah. This is a piece of technology to undo technology. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. Where, where, where do these come from? I'm trying to find the name of the, of the company. Uh, I don't know, but this is also worth $10. I mean, you could trade in one TiVo uh, share. For a pair of these glasses. <laughs> it's, oh, they're Today. called 2D Glasses. 2D-Glasses.com is their website. Uh, and when you watch a 3D movie, there are actually two images being projected on the screen. That's why the screen is blurry when you look at it without glasses. In 3D glasses, one of the lens blocks the images. Thus, when you watch a 3D movie, each of your eyes are seeing slightly different images. 2D glasses block the same image with both lenses, so each eye gets the same picture, resulting in a 2D image and an elimination of eyeball strain. And apparently, I could, I could use this. I think Geek I actually really called do. this as an April Fool's joke. Yeah. I was not aware of that. Scott, do you think there's a reason why people want something like this? I can tell you why I want it. So uh, let it be known, my left eye is a piece of crap. And it always has been, and I Not can't literally. see anything out of it without my right eye. Without my right eye, you guys are just a blurred dot on my screen right now. So what I like to do, I mean, the family, they may want to go see the next Pixar movie in 3D, in fabulous 3D, but they give me serious headaches because my left eye isn't behaving right. So it would be nice if I could still go with them and not make them all go 2D with me if I could wear something that would just kill that one, you know, that one image and let me see it the way I want to see it. So I, I would pay 10 bucks for that pair of glasses. Now, I what, if I, what if I told you that if you just go to two 3D movies and keep the glasses and you pop the lens out of each, you know, out of the same thing, you know, take the right eye lens and put it in the left eye lens of the other glasses, you'd have the same effect. I'd say you're crazy. <laughs> for you're free. Crazy. No $2 <laughs> shipping charge. You also right, have to shape the, the lens. But the glasses you get at the theater, I don't know if you guys remember this article a while ago, but they all have something like 20% of like fecal matter or something on every pair you get at the movie theater. So I don't trust that either way. That's true so of most of the food at movie theaters, I think. That's true. That's well. true, true of most movie theaters. But yeah. AMC has filed a suit against Twitch. I didn't say any theater in particular. <laughs> Let's be clear. And it was pure speculation. Let's move on to the calendar before we get sued again. Happy birthday goes out to George Hasato Takei Altman, born April 20th, Who? 1937. Oh, Sulu. That's right. Oh, my. Oh, my. Today, President Obama and, and Mark Zuckerberg had a town hall meeting, which was very exciting. Yeah, we, we, uh, we captured a little bit of the early part of it. Most of the talk was political, as you might expect. But if you want to see, uh, we'll go ahead and roll just, just the introduction. Mark Zuckerberg in a tie. Yes, so brace um, yourself. Sorry, I'm kind of nervous. We have the President of the United States here. So it's never been as easy in the history uh, of the world for people to have their voice heard and, and, and exercise their freedom of speech. Just post something, comment, like. But it's good to complement that online dialogue with some FaceTime as well. And what better way to do that than by having a Facebook Live Q&A with the President. So it is our honor to welcome to Facebook the President of the United States, Barack Obama. And, uh, you know, so they, 
they took a good hour and uh, took questions from the audience, took questions from Facebook. Uh, actually, Barack Obama uh, very graciously allowed Mark to take off his jacket. For sporting they, purposes. Yeah, because he said the last time uh, I, I met Mark Zuckerberg for dinner, he was wearing a jacket and he was sweating so much, I, I told him to take it off. Yeah, personal <laughs> point. Oh, back to the calendar. Saturday, Doctor Who season premiere in the UK and the US. I think that's the first time that's happening at the same time. Motorola is delaying the 4G droid bionic for Verizon until the summer. And ThinkGeek is taking pre-orders on another, what was originally April Fool's joke, the iCade is going to ship around May 20th. Yeah. Um, it's real. It's real, and you can finally order it. That's the second Think Geek April Fool's joke that had became real in this in the show. In this episode. Weird. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's. Uh, quick note about Doctor oh. Who, just real fast. Utah connection. A, a bunch of it was filmed in the deserts of Utah. Just throwing oh, that of the out new there. season. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so that and makes also, it I you know I we didn't mention this on yesterday's show. We did talk about it a lot on frame rate, but uh, we, we'll note that uh, very sad that Elizabeth Sladen, who played uh, Sarah Jane Smith on the Doctor Who uh, with John Pertwee, uh, with Tom Baker, and actually with David Tennant uh, in, a, in a couple of special episodes, passed away. So we'll miss her. On to the voicemail, 260-TNT-SHOW. And it is, uh, it is, it is it's time to talk maps. Our, first, our callers and our emailers are all about open maps. Let's listen to our caller. We love the show, just keeping it real here. If... Uh Google was to get their data from OpenStreetMaps, then they wouldn't own the data. But if you submit it directly to Google, you're probably clicking on some terms or terms of service where you're giving up ownership of the data to Google, and then they own it. And then think of the other uh, mapping companies. They don't have access to all this, but Google does. It's a pretty good advantage. All right. Love the show. Thanks. That's a really good point, right, for why Google would want to do it that way. Right. Uh, but it's a really good point of why you would not want to participate in Google's project and participate in Open Maps instead. Well, maybe you want to be like, hey, see that, that, that thing on Google Maps? I did that. Yeah. It's just about bragging. How much money did you make off of it? Not How much money did Google make off of it? Billions. Yeah. I'm responsible for billions. Whereas if you do it on Open Maps, then you're helping the world because anybody can use Based it. Based on my freelancing theory, I think that, that Tassini guy... I think that Google owes me billions of dollars. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. Ah, uh, to the email, TNT at twit.tv. Stephen and Charlotte writes in, I think one of the reasons Google isn't using OpenStreetMaps may be because Bing is already using it, and they don't want to be seen as copying them, I guess. Uh, he points to a blog entry from late August where uh, Bing adds uh, OpenStreetMaps as a layer to Bing Maps. So if, when you do contribute to OpenStreetMap, you are actually uh, helping one of the layers of Bing. It's, it's something you can add to it. Kind of a way of splitting the difference there by making it a layer. They yeah, can still have their own Bing proprietary thing underneath. I mean, does Google and Microsoft, you know, they always have their beef. They might just go left when Microsoft wants to go right. Now, Stephen did point out in November, Bing announced that, uh, they could that OpenStreet could use Bing's map data. So it does go both ways. Their, their proprietary stuff feeds into OpenStreetMap as well. That could be a way for Google to play this as well, to say we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to have this open uh, thing for Google Maps because we know people are more familiar with it than OpenStreetMap, but we're going to share our data back to OpenStreetMap. That, that I call upon Google to do. Go ahead and, and, and run your own collection service and, and increase your maps, but then open your data up and contribute to OpenStreetMap. If you really, really are not evil and into openness, do it. Go for it. 
Let's talk one more time about maps. This All is right. an, an email from Thomas McGrew. Yesterday when you were discussing Google Map Maker, Becky asked if there was an OpenStreetMap application on your phone. As a matter of fact, there are several map applications which use OpenStreetMap data on Android from OSM and, I guess, an, to and nav, Scobbler, and a whole bunch of these I can't even pronounce, sorry, um, offers an option to use OSM. Searching for OSM in the Android market yields quite a few apps which use OpenStreetMap. Just thought that this would help answer Becky's question. Also, MapQuest uses OpenStreetMap data. No, data. Yeah, and we weren't trying to say there weren't. I don't even think Becky was trying to say there weren't any apps for the phone. Right. I think she was trying to say that your Google Map is the one that most people are going right, to use. Right, the one that's built in, yeah. the one you don't have to search for, the one that's actually there by default. But, but great list of maps. Uh, thanks for sending those along, Thomas. Really appreciate it. Everybody's that. up on their map apps. I know. People are really into the map awesome. apps. <laughs> All right, Scott Johnson, thank you so much uh, for uh, helping fill in for the vacationing Sarah Lane. It's always good to have you on the show. It's a, it's always a blast to hang out with you guys. Thanks for having me. Let people know uh, what's going on. Like, you know, if you have any interesting guests on the morning stream lately or anything. Well, today we had Tom uh, Tom Merritt. You may have heard of him. He was yeah. on the morning stream this morning talking yeah, I was about thinking some of somebody else. Stuff. Yes, I know. Oh, guest. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Robert Justin Young uh, from uh, from NSF. Justin NSSW, Robert you know, Young. Did I do it wrong again? You've got Justin Robert Young dyslexia. I was going to say. It's a very specialized case. Yeah, I don't know why I do that wrong, but he's coming on tomorrow. We've got all kinds of cool stuff happening every day. They can learn more about that at frogpants.com uh, slash TMS. That's for the morning stream. And they can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash extra life. All right. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Twit.tv slash TNT is our website. You can uh, send us an email, TNT at Twit.tv, or give us a call, 260-TNT-SHOW. We will see you tomorrow. Bye.